Have you ever had somebody try to um, sell you on something that they absolutely love, kind of recommend something to you that they, that they absolutely love because they're, they're, ab- they're convinced that you're going to love it as much as they do. Somebody's you know, recommended a movie to you or a, a book or a band or something. They're just like, you got to watch this show. You're going to absolutely love it. And, and you watch a show and you're kind of like, eh. You know, and they absolutely can't believe it. For me, uh, I guess what stands out the most in my experience, for years, for years, people trying to get me to eat fish. I don't know how many of you uh, are like me and have a, you've been slower to embrace the whole idea of seafood, but it's, for me, it's only been the last couple of years that I've started to eat anything uh, that once lived in water because, I don't know, there was just something about it. It just, well... You can probably guess. It just tastes like fish. Like I don't, I just didn't, there was nothing about it that was appealing to me because it smelled like fish and it it tastes like fish. And of course, everybody's sales pitch is exactly the same, right? Oh, no, 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 no. You got to try this because it doesn't taste like fish, right? You got to try my mom's recipe. It doesn't taste like fish. Well, have you had salmon? Because it doesn't taste like fish. And over, like I fell for it for years. Right, I fell for it. Oh, really? Well, then I'll try it. No, guess what? It tastes like fish. And after a while, I developed this like finely honed instinct. I could always tell ahead of time. I could always tell when a, when a seafood dish was going to taste like fish. And, and after some reflection, I figured out what it was subconsciously, what it was that always triggered inside me, how I always knew that it was going to taste like fish. You know what it was? It's because it was made of fish. That's why it tastes like fish. And, that, and everybody's so disappointed, right? When you're like, I don't know, it tastes like fish. And they're like, no, I can't believe, I can't believe you don't love it as much. Because we have this thing inside of us that we think that when we love something, when we've embraced something, when, it's, when something matters to us, then it's got to matter to everybody, right? It's got to be as important to everybody. Everybody's got to love it as much as we do. And as we're digging into Matthew chapter 13, we're in a a series of stories that Jesus is telling, parables that Jesus is telling, for a very specific reason. We talked last week about how the, the whole book of Matthew, the first 10 chapters of Matthew are all about who Jesus is, that he's God walking among us as the human being, Jesus of Nazareth, and, and God's power and authority rests on Jesus to rescue God's people in order to restore God's creation and make human beings and humanity and the world exactly the way God always wanted it to be. And, and, um, and the way Jesus would do this is that the, the power and authority would rest on Jesus on the things that he said, on his teaching, on his words. And the power and authority of God would rest on Jesus' works, on his ministry, on, on his ability to heal and bring wholeness to people's lives and to creation. And, and the first 10 chapters are all about how Jesus is bringing healing and reconciliation to God's creation. And then we, we talked last week as well about how chapters 11 and 12 are all about how people reacted to Jesus. The disciples love him, they're following him, they're passionate about him. And the disciples just can't believe how little everybody else seems to be getting behind this whole Jesus movement that they're so excited about, that they're so engaged with and involved in, right? People are disappointed in the kind of Messiah Jesus is. They're, uh, they're skeptical and they're, 
cynical of Jesus. They're spiritually arrogant. They accuse Jesus of not being religious enough. And they accuse Jesus of being in league with the devil. And they demand a sign so that he could prove, you know, who he is. And um, in just in all sorts of ways, people are falling short of the disciples' expectation of of, you know, once Jesus is teaching and doing what Jesus does, of course, people are just going to buy into this whole thing. They're just going to want to follow Jesus. And they can't believe that other people don't love Jesus as much as they do. And the question kind of hangs out there. Why is it that other people aren't responding to Jesus like we did? And we turn to Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a series of stories. Parables. Right? They're comparisons. Jesus will say the kingdom of God is like a fisherman. And the whole point of the story is that if you can follow what Jesus is saying about fishermen and you can unfold kind of the spiritual truth contained inside, you can learn something about what the kingdom of God is like, about what the world is like when God is allowed to be in charge. And so Jesus tells these stories as a way of answering the question, why aren't people as excited about buying into this Jesus movement as the disciples assumed they'd be? And he begins by telling a story that begins in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 3, which says this, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed... Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred and sixty and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus tells the story as pretty well all of Jesus' stories were. It's a story that really is a snapshot of the peasant life of the people that Jesus was preaching to. He tells a story of a, of a small-time peasant farmer in the north of Israel. A farmer wandering the width and breadth of his tiny, meager little plot of land with a, with a bag of of grain seed slung over his shoulder, and he's, he's walking his field, flinging recklessly, flinging seed in all directions, hoping to, to cover his entire plot of land with grain seed, to make every square inch of this tiny little piece of property that is his own, to make every square inch fertile and productive hoping to grow enough grain that he can feed his family for another year, maybe, maybe even have enough to sell it at market and make a, a small living along the way. But it doesn't necessarily turn out the way the farmer had hoped. Some of the seed that he was throwing, Jesus says, fell along a footpath that bordered the entire exterior, the outer rim of his field. And the seed landing on the the hard and and bare path didn't have a chance to sink into the soil. It just kind of sat there on on top of the path gleaming in the sun. And it became, you know, easy takeout for the birds that were hovering overhead looking for a cheap meal. 
and swoop down and pluck it up and fly away. Like the seagulls that follow the combines, you know, as they're harvesting. Um, said some of the seed fell in that corner of the property where the limestone shelf that sits under much of Palestine was really, really close to the surface. And the, and the plow couldn't really till the soil very deeply. There was this thin layer of topsoil and some f- seed fell among the topsoil and it, and it germinated and took root. And during the rainy season, when there was lots of moisture sitting on the rock, the, the plant was amply fed. And because the, the topsoil was so thin, um, the, the shoots shot up through the soil really quickly. And at first, <clears throat> excuse me, at first it looked like this energetic growth, these, this vibrant life coming through the soil. But at the end of rainy season, when the hot sun mounted in the sky, it dried up the soil. And because of that limestone shelf, the plant hadn't been able to put its roots down deep. And the moisture was gone and the plant withered and it died in the sun. Some of the seed fell in another corner of the farmer's property where he had been losing a perennial battle against weeds. I have a lot of sympathy for this farmer. In my backyard, it seems that the previous owner, for reasons that are utterly beyond me, planted a patch of ivy and lily of the valley inside the lawn that I have in nine years yet to successfully eliminate. Like I know what it's like to lose a battle against weeds. And this farmer has this corner of the field where he's just been unable to rid the place of the weeds. And so he throws the grain there and the, and the seed gets into the soil and it germinates and it grows these deep roots and it, and it grows this strong stalk. And yet around these grain plants grow these weeds that slowly choke the life out of the plant, and it dies. But Jesus says there was a, another part of the field where the soil was rich and dark, filled with nutrients and retaining moisture, and the seed that fell there germinated. It, it went into the soil, unlike the seed on the path, and it sent its roots down deep, unlike the soil in the rocks. And it grew up unencumbered by weeds, like the seed in the other corner. And it produced a crop uh, that multiplied the fruitfulness by 30, 60, even 100 times. Now to give you some context, a, a crop of yield of 4 to 1 or 5 to 1 seems pretty normal in Palestine in that time. This is, this is a bumper crop. This is more than that. It's a miraculous crop. God did something remarkable with the seed that fell in the good soil. And Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. The the story contained within it is the secret for why it is that, that some people haven't responded to the message of Jesus the way the disciples assumed that people would. He says down in verse 18, he says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. He says, when everyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Jesus says, 
there are some people who hear the message and they don't understand it. Not because they're idiots. We talked about this last week, right? Chapter 13, verse 15, the quote from Isaiah. There are people who have eyes to see, but they don't perceive. They have ears to hear, but they don't comprehend. And the reason they don't understand is not that they're dumb. It's that their heart has grown calloused and hard and closed to the message of Jesus. And Jesus says, there are some people whose hearts are like that hard path in the field. The seed lands on top, but because the path is hard and packed and has been trampled down, the seed has no way to penetrate in, and the birds just steal it away. And Jesus says in exactly the same way, there are just some people whose hearts are hard. and They're closed to the message of the kingdom and um, There's just no way for the message to get in and begin to germinate in their life. I find the metaphor of the path an interesting one because paths can either be an act of the will. They can either be constructed or just happen organically. Right? A pathway... Uh, the, The Greek word is actually road. Roads don't happen by accident. Sidewalks do not happen by accident. Sidewalks are an act of the will. Sidewalks are intentionally and deliberately constructed. Sidewalks are a way of saying, this ground is not for growing stuff. This ground is not for growing life. This ground is a place for people to walk and nothing else. I think... For some people, the hardness of heart that they experience is a hardness of heart that comes out of their will. They've chosen out of cynicism or skepticism or whatever it is. They have chosen that they are not open to the life that God wants to grow in their life. They have a life that they're interested in living and it's not God's life. And they're just closed to the message of Jesus. But a path can, not every path is that kind of act of stubborn willfulness. Some paths develop organically. Some paths just evolve because week after week, month after month, year after year, generation after generation, people just keep walking on this space. And over time, it gets trampled down. It gets beaten down. It gets worn down by the wear and tear of persistent foot traffic that has made it hard and closed to anything being able to grow. I wonder how many people here this morning find their hearts are hard not out of an act of willfulness on your part, but just as the result of the way in which you have been trampled on by the people in your life or by life itself. And you've been beat down and walked on and pushed down and the deadness began to settle in and now your heart has become hard. Jesus says a heart in that kind of condition is not the kind of heart that can experience the life that God wants to grow in each one of us. He goes on, verse 20, he says, the seed falling on rocky ground 
refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Jesus says there are other people whose hearts aren't hard like that, but their hearts have another issue. They are kind of like the seed that falls among the stony soil. Um, At first, when you look at their life, they hear the message of Jesus and they kind of immediately respond with this joy-filled exuberance, the growth from the outside. It just, it appears like the growth comes immediately and quickly and and people get so excited about the way that, that faith has taken root in their life and they're beginning to grow, but the growth is not ever something that actually is able to reach maturity. The roots, it turns out, are, are shallow. They don't go down deep. They don't draw moisture from the deep places. The plant doesn't get nourished. And so it lacks the strength and the structure to continue to grow because its roots <clears throat> are too shallow. There are people who are excited about Jesus but who have just decided to not take it that seriously to not go too deep with you know thinking about faith or talking about faith or engaging in faith or asking questions of faith or having conversations of faith they're just they're just not that energetic about you know going deep in the way that they engage in the in the passion and devotion of faith they'll go to church or life group you know unless something else comes up they're not that, they, they've just decided that they're not going to go that deep in engaging in the life of faith, in the sacrificial generosity of faith, in, in the, the, the loving of those that God has put in your life, or the, the volunteering or the serving of those who are poor and outside. They just, there's faith to them is more like a hobby. It's something light and fun to do when you have time. The problem with this kind of faith, Jesus says, this sort of keep it light, this kind of shallow engagement with faith is that Jesus says it's just not going to have the durability to last when times get tough. If faith is supposed to be light and fun, then when the sun comes up and starts beating down and life gets hard because of how people are treating you because of faith or life gets hard just because sometimes life is hard, Well, those are the people who end up saying to their friends one day, well, I tried Jesus, he just didn't work for me. And the truth is that maybe maybe what is more true is that it's kind of like G.K. Chesterton had once said, it's not that the Christian ideal has been tried and found lacking, it's that it's been found difficult and not tried. The faith is just too shallow to endure. Jesus says there's another kind of person. The seed that falls among the thorns, excuse me, refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus says other people are like the seed that fall among the thorns. And the seed takes root and it germinates and the roots go down and and they, and they grow deep into the soil and this stalk of, of grain, this stalk of faith grows strong and sturdy and healthy um, until the clutter comes. 
until it begins to get choked out by everything else that's also being nurtured and and tendered, tended to in that person's heart. If the seed among the rocks is a, a seed whose challenge is shallowness, the, the seed that falls among the thorns, the challenge is clutter, distraction. Jesus says this heart that is a heart that is filled with a a genuine faith, this heart is also filled with all sorts of concerns and worries, all sorts of distracting demands. It's filled with all sorts of other stuff that it also cares about, that's creating clutter in the heart. He he calls it the, um, the worries of this life. There are so many other things in your heart that you care about. Care about enough to worry about. But the things that you care about enough to worry about are all things for this life. For this age, it says in the Greek. It talks about things that aren't going to last forever. Those aren't the things that are cluttering your heart. It's just the trivial stuff that only has meaning in the moment for this life. That stuff is what clutters your heart and, and, and steals your concern and distracts your care from the life of faith. You, you care about your faith, about your love And passion and devotion to God. You care about your relationships with people. Loving those around you as much as you love yourself. You care about sacrificially and generously. Loving the poor and the outsiders. You... You know, you, you want to be a part of creating at works of, of beauty that bring healing to a person's soul and inspiration to their spirit. You, you want to engage in meaningful work, but what clutters most of your life and what takes most of your time and what fills most of your attention is the stuff that just doesn't matter. It's hockey practice and dance recitals and Golf trips and camping trips and cruises and redecorating our already ridiculously extravagant homes, which are ridiculously extravagant by every measure except our own. We care about mani petties and fall fashion, and I mean, it's not bad stuff. It's not evil or wrong or terrible. It's just distracting and cluttering, and it, and it pulls our attention away from the stuff that matters, from the stuff that's going to last forever. And eventually the cares and concerns that clutter our hearts begin to squeeze the life out of our faith because there's just not enough time and attention and care to go around. But Jesus says there's one more kind of soil. It says the, the seed falling on the good soil refers to somebody who hears the word and understands it. Remember, understanding is linked to the condition of a person's heart. Jesus says the seed that falls on the good soil is the message when it lands on a heart that is soft and tender and open and receptive. That is faith-filled and hope-filled and oriented to Jesus in, in, a, in a posture of anticipation and hope that, that something will be received that is going to breathe life into my soul. And, 
And um, Jesus goes on to say, that's the one who produces the crop, yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus says it's in that kind of heart that the the message sinks in, unlike the hard heart, and and drives its roots down deep, unlike the the stony heart, and and that grows with the freedom to, to flourish, unlike the thorny, cluttered heart. And he says, and it's in that kind of heart that the multiplication begins to happen. The multiplication of faith where this this tiny seed, the good news about Jesus, all of a sudden begins to flourish and grow and multiply in a person's life. And and their character begins to magnify the character of Jesus. And they begin to radiate Jesus to, to everybody who encounters them. And they begin to flourish as this towering figure of faith, and it does, it's not just flowing in them, it's flowing through them. Remember, we said last week that the, that the treasures of spiritual insight that the, that the parables reveal, they're not just for you, they're for you to share. And this is a life that multiplies faith in other people, where the seed becomes the sower. And now other lives are demonstrating the life of faith that God is looking to grow in people's hearts. And And the multiplication happens as the person expands the breadth of their influence for the sake of Christ. And the question is, how do do the other kinds of heart become that kind of heart? And I'd have three suggestions. One for each of the different kinds of soil. Maybe you're here this morning and as we talk about hearts being hard and closed, you recognize in your spirit that we're, that we're talking about your heart. Hard as hard as the path which the seed of the gospel can't penetrate. And the antidote to the hardness of heart, quite frankly, is, is brokenness. That soil needs to be tilled and broken and turned over to make space for the life and the breath and the moisture and the seed. And there are some here this morning whose hearts are hard because of the way you've been trampled on by other people, the way you've been trampled on by life. And for you, I wonder whether the brokenness begins to come in the courageous act of being vulnerable with a trusted friend and telling them exactly how much you're hurting right now or maybe it comes even with the the gentle touch of a counselor who can guide the plow and begin to break up the hardness and bring healing to your soul maybe your hardness is more out of skepticism and cynicism because of your engagement with Christians and the church it's the church that's made you hard to the gospel to Jesus Maybe for you the brokenness begins to come just by by returning back to Jesus, just reading the Gospels and letting your heart drink in this picture of what Jesus is like or finding one or two people who follow Jesus who actually radiate the person and life and character of Jesus to you and the brokenness begins by exposing yourself to them. Maybe you're here and the brokenness is just an act of rebellion. You are going to live the way you are going to live and you don't care 
about the destruction that that's going to bring to your life and the life of the people that you love, then I, I just pray for you that the brokenness comes before you are broken by hitting rock bottom. But if it's hardness that is the problem, then brokenness is the solution. But maybe you're here this morning and as we talked about the seed that fell among the rocky soil and the heart that is shallow in faith, maybe you recognized yourself in that picture. And where the challenge is shallowness, the solution is depth. That for you, the change begins to come the minute you commit to going deep in your faith, to loving God with all of your mind and being willing to think and explore and read to try and come to terms with what it is that you actually believe and why you believe it and and to not shy away from the hard questions but press in and try and understand this life of faith that God has called you to. Or maybe it's, it's about going deep by loving God with all of your heart, about nurturing this passion and devotion to God, to stop treating faith like a hobby that's fun and light and something you'll do when you've got the time, but by committing yourself to loving God with all that you have and all that you are. Or maybe it's, it's a faith that comes by loving God with all of your strength and all of your life. It's about going deeper than the consumeristic faith of what can God do for me and picking up your cross and following Jesus and dying to yourself. And living a life of sacrificial generosity where the love of God is able to flow through you and into the lives of people who are poor or lost or outside or whatever, but who are beyond the circles of God's love. If the issue is shallowness, the solution is depth. Or, Or maybe for you when we were talking about the thorns and the And the cluttered heart that can choke out a life of faith, if that's you, the solution is simplicity. Taking a good long look in the mirror and asking yourself, what is the clutter in my heart that is distracting me, that's stealing my time and attention, my care and my concern? What are are the things in my heart that that are dominating my life, that are crowding out my faith and making it impossible for me to live a life of being passionately devoted to loving God with all that I am and all that I have and passionately devoted to loving everybody else as much as I love myself, including the poor and the excluded? What what are the things that are cluttering my heart? What are the things that I have come to care about more than I care about my life of faith, even though I know at the end of the day those things are trivial? What are the things that have come to dominate my mind, to to fill me with anxiety and worry, the things that, that capture all of my concern and my care and my attention and my focus? in a way that crowds out the opportunity for faith? What are the things that have begun to clutter my calendar, that fill the spaces that make it impossible for me to make time for God and for people and for relationships and for art and beauty and work that's meaningful and the stuff that lasts for eternity? If the problem is clutter, the antidote is grabbing the weed 
at the bottom and pulling it out by the root. What needs to be pulled out of your life? What needs to be pulled out of your heart in order to make space? In order to bust up the soil? In order to give your faith room to breathe and to grow? Three types of heart. Three types of soil. Three kinds of people who find themselves not responding to Jesus the way even you would want to respond to Jesus. The question for you, for each of us, for me, is what kind of soil are you?